Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Foundation by Story Archives. I am your host, Mario Busto, alongside Zachary Newton. You're the host. Welcome back. We're back, y'all, with episode eight, titled The Missing Piece. That's right. Zach, initial thoughts on everything that happened in this episode. I think this is probably one of my favorites of the season so far. And I do think that there there is a missing piece somewhere. Uh, You know, I I think we kind of get to see what that is towards the end of the episode. But I I love the spiral. Um, Not a whole fan of the whole Invictus thing going on, but I guess it needs to happen. What are your thoughts? What is the missing piece? Did I miss something? Well, the missing piece is that, I mean... It kind of looks like Brother Day. I don't know if it if if they're trying to imply that maybe he is soulless or something, mm, but we do get the, the bit at the piece. end where it appears he did not have any vision. Right? It was a lie. I don't know. At least that's is, what it's making me believe. I don't know what this says about me, but I am feeling growing sympathy for Emperor Day. I do too, a little bit. Like I don't think it's just you. I, I think yeah. this episode really wants us to feel that like i think it pushes us in that direction quite well he's definitely the focus in it to me and i will say the the other missing piece is probably the new information we have that gail can feel the future and harry thinks she has this intuitive gift that is beyond math in a way yeah and it makes all the sense in the world now with salvor and that flipping the coin thing that yeah she has that same gift but maybe more powerfully in some ways Mm, so possibly I mean, she's she can, probably had more time to train with it, though. That would be my guess. Yeah. I mean, she's been like an outlier her whole life. So she's been treated like an outcast, probably, you know, dive deeper into the things that made her different. But yeah, let's get into the recap, shall we? Let's do it. We start with this Anacreon flashback of the destruction of the planet of Anacreon. And I'm assuming we are seeing Farah and her little brother in the woods here, who gets absolutely obliterated by the bomb, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely Farah. I'm assuming it's her little brother as well. We get this nice little... There's a lot of like backstories that we get. Not like really deep backstories, but there's a little... There's a few flashbacks that we get throughout this episode kind of telling this story and, you know, a couple others. Yeah. Have we had a Gale narration to start an episode since she's been back? That's a good question. I kind of haven't picked up on it. I don't think so. Neither have I. I hope yeah. it's something that stays that way, that now that she's back, we don't get a narration from her. I hope so. <laughs> because not, I just don't love that. I, that. That's the one part of these all, all of the episodes where she wasn't in it that I just found disappointing, right? Like, I just, I would much rather have seen her in it, but. Because it's spoilery. Okay. It feels like yeah. she's saying it from a rocking chair at like 90 years old because yeah. she knows who Salvor is and she, you know what I mean? Like, you're just assuming that she's going to meet these people if she's talking about them. Yeah. When you use her voice. And I think that's the reason it feels weird. But um, speaking of missing pieces, this episode starts with her, with uh, Farah giving her backstory to Salvor, which is something that feels like we're missing a little bit of a background as to how this conversation started because the previous episode didn't end in such a way that you would think she would be getting this whole... uh, Heart to heart. Yeah, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I thought it was a little weird jumping right into this. I'm like, really? Like, why Why do you feel the need to spill your guts at this point? Well, I don't know. Perhaps Farah isn't as, you know, full of darkness as Salvor thinks because we see the conviction she has in her plan because she sees the fact that she outlived her life expectancy three times over, according to her, and the fact that the Invictus blinked into her reach pretty much from, from jumping, that yeah. the gods are not only approving of her plan to destroy the Empire, but they're somehow engineering it. Yeah. You know, she... It's maybe, I mean, you said she's not quite as dark, but she definitely is full of rage and revenge. I mean, she's willing to kill everybody on Terminus just to get Salvor to do what she wants. And they want to crash this ship into Trantor. Yeah. And that confused me, by the way, the, like, how does Salvor, I didn't, in the start of this episode, I didn't really see how Salvor was needed for this plan, being that she has no experience flying ships or with any Mm -hmm. jump ship technology. But then later on, when you see how the ship works, that you need to plug into the ship and use pretty much your intuition to guide yeah. it through folding space and time. I still, I didn't understand almost a lick of what Louis Pyrene said uh, about the way the ship works, but maybe you uh, learned a little bit more and we could talk about that later. 
Yeah, we'll get to that a little bit later. I don't I don't think I have too much more insight on there, but there's a, there's a few things I feel like I picked up on in that yeah. conversation. Well, on to the next scene with Harry and Gale on their increasingly hot ship heading towards Helicon. Uh, you were right. You picked up on a little detail that Harry was talking about, not one foundation, but two foundations. And we find out that he has actually all along had this plan for a second foundation to be founded in Helicon. And it's very important that this foundation is a secret, both with location and with its existence. Yeah, yeah, but not just a secret from the Empire, a secret even from the first foundation, which is kind of interesting that he would, I guess, completely abandon that entire foundation. It makes me wonder if foundation number one is meant to be more of like a decoy or maybe it is supposed to survive this uh, this trial that they're going through. Well, he does say that part of the design of the Terminus Foundation was to attract some of that fire yeah. from the Empire. Pretty much focus all your attention on here while the real foundation in Elecon. Yeah. I mean, Harry's really playing chess with people's lives here, you know, in a way that doesn't really endear me towards him, you know. Yeah. Uh, we can talk about day later, but I feel like when you make the parallels here, you know, what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to see a parallel between Harry and Day, Gale and Salvor, and that's, those are like the, the two, you know, that I'm, that yeah. I'm really thinking about. And also Demerzel and Day. I think that there's some sort of the robot thing with the clone thing, like who has the soul, who doesn't. I think that's also another parallel going on here, right? Yeah, definitely. So, um... Turns out Hugo's alive when he humorously floated into space, which <laughs> upon rewatch, started thinking about it more. Um, there's this weird moment where Salvor thinks back about how Hugo was drifting away that I yeah. think she kind of understood that Hugo was on his own type of plan. Yeah. But he's managed to get to some sort of communications or distress beacon and he was able to send an SOS to the Thespian Republic, which turns out paid dividends at the end of this episode yeah i mean they <laughs> they definitely helped out i'm glad he's alive right now but i don't know if he's alive after this like later on in the episode because right before we cut away from hugo basically calling for support we see this bar on his suit he looks at his arm and it looks like i'm assuming it's oxygen and his oxygen is pretty darn low so hmm yeah, well, I wonder yeah. where this does leave him. I'm assuming he's been picked up by one of these Thespian ships. That'd be nice. But the but the Invictus has jumped. So we don't know. Where, look, I, I know we're rewatching this series. So technically I've seen the next episode. Yeah. But I don't remember anything. Same. I, I'm I don't, in the same boat. Like, I, I don't know what's happened to my memory, but I don't remember a damn thing about what happens next episode. So people may say like, man, that must be, we literally had a review say the, <laughs> the, not, the very difficult, um, unenviable task of doing a podcast about something you've already watched or that you're trying to show that, you know, whatever. But I don't remember anything that's going to happen in the next two episodes. I don't. Aside I, from one storyline, I know one thing that's going to happen for sure. Yeah. I, I recall what I see as, I, as I'm rewatching it. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. That happened. Okay. But like literally, for, like if you ask me what's going to happen in the next episode, I, for the life of me, I mean, I would die basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, dude, honestly, I'll say one of the most intriguing storylines or like set pieces that we see in this entire season is is Day's attempt at walking the spiral. And we yeah. get this like really neat explanation of what the spiral is. It's this 170 plus kilometer walk where you have no food, no water, no rest. And it's uh, pretty much a religious pilgrimage for any follower of Luminism to take so that they can encounter the triple goddess in this cave, what they call the womb. And in this womb, it's up to the triple goddess to decide whether you get a vision or not. So mm -hmm. Day has embarked on this journey in order to pretty much um, refute what Halima has said about him having no soul. Yeah. But this is an offensive move too, right? Because as we learn later in this episode, he completely bullshits his vision. Like it's, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a brilliant lie, right? Beautiful. Uh, because now it, the thing I said about the triple goddess and how it reminded me of the genetic dynasty, mm -hmm. it all came into play in this. Like that, the writers were really smart about it in terms of, you know, you have this um, this birth root flower that they say that the three petaled flower, 
and how each mm-hmm. represents one of the the goddesses, the crone, the mother, and the maiden. Mm-hmm. And then you have the emperor, you know, and you have da- dawn, day, dusk, yeah. you know, and you have this kind of correlation between the the two, which almost gives him even more than what he wanted, which is this uh, this kind of like this holy status, right? Yeah, it does seem that way. Uh, I don't know if he was intending to get this holy status, but I do think that his move definitely paid off. He did exactly what he what he wanted to do, which is basically to go around Alima and, well, can't refute what the mother says, right? Yeah. I'm going to pause for a second here. I'm going to grab another beer. <laughs> oh, you're serious. Okay. <laughs> That is not a Peroni. What the fuck is that? I ran out of Peronis, unfortunately. Oh, this is damn. a um, Blue Point Imperial Sunshine Brewing Company. Comes out of Colorado, mm. I believe. A little bit too much alcohol in this one for me. Like, it's not my favorite. It's a blonde ale, like nine? orange, 9.6. Oh, darn. That was, that was close. I was going to almost guess 10, but... That's a bit high, right, for a beer? It is, but... If it's not over 10, it's okay. Like, it's a little bit much, but it's not It's terrible. just like, I like my beers around four or five, you know? Like, that's that's fine. It's good enough for me. I like six. Like, six is where I generally like. Yeah. Like, that's my sweet spot. Yeah. If right. I've eaten a lot, I'll go for something higher. See, yeah. I, I like my, like, I like a, a nice lager. That's like a, something light. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Uh, so, about the spiral here. We also find out that this is going to be Day's first time in his life where he'll feel mortality in a way, right? He's going to mm-hmm. have his aura bracelet. You can hit play. Uh, aura, aura bracelet removed. His Imperial nanobots removed, which I did not know this was a thing you could just remove like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Brother Don, right? Like his little lover talks about how, oh, we can help you remove those bots, right? True. With all the nanobots. So it's a thing. It's just... I guess it's just a very uncommon thing. Very risky. Yeah. Well, Demersel's almost given him this rundown to sort of talk him out of it. And we also learned that there's there's a lot of rules to this spiral. For example, if you go down on one knee, that's okay and you can be helped. But if you go down on two knees, you either accept your fate to die on the road or find the strength to crawl off of it. Which I'm assuming mm-hmm. the on this planet, the maiden or the moon, the maiden... They must have these workers like walking up and down a spiral to find the people who are on the side because... Even day when he makes it to the cave, I'm assuming he didn't walk another 170 kilometers back. I mean, I would hope not. That's like what 105 miles. That's a is that's that 105 miles? I think it's about that much. Yeah. Jeez, that's insane. Yeah, that's that's ridiculous. But mm-hmm. I mean, even if you did fall onto both knees and you know mustered up the strength to pull yourself crawl off to the side of this walkway. I feel like you would still die. Like, it's just like you're giving the courtesy to everybody else to not be in their way if you do that. Well, either way, I got to give, you got to give props, you know, you got to give some props to good old Emperor Day because this is a high stakes move here. If he fails the spiral, then he's, Halima's emboldened, right? He's no like, come on, like, are you like a real emperor if you, if you fail the spiral, you know? There's a lot of things that are at stake here. And for someone who has never really suffered, at least that we know of, we haven't seen it on screen. Yeah. You know, you imagine you take off this bracelet, you haven't felt any sort of like harm to your to your being in your entire existence. And we assume that Emperor Day has got to be at least like 35, you know, maybe older. Yeah. Um, we assume that he has, like, this is like a major first test to give yourself, right? Very much so. I mean, even... Early on, like I guess before this, if you have your nanobots, if you get hurt, like your body just heals itself. It's okay. And on top of that, you got a shield. So you, this is a very 
very vulnerable place for him to be in. Now, there is one thing, and, and you know, I guess that would be in his favor. Even if he does die, guess what? He's got a duplicate of himself living somewhere. So Yeah, but, you know, there's a weird thing with these with these clones that I really do feel like they're individuals in a way. Yeah. You know? I'm with you on that. And, and that they're different, like slightly different from each other. So, I, I was really, I like what like I said before, I didn't remember if he had a vision or if he didn't. I was leaning towards he didn't have one, that he was mm-hmm. full of crap, that he made one up, right? Yeah, but part of me was like, man, I hope he gets a vision because he's dealing with the same sort of um, identity crisis that Demerzel has, right? Well, you know, do I have a soul? Like, what happens to me when I'm when I cease to exist, right? Yeah. Well, he exactly. does. Speaking of Demerzel, he takes the little salt thing that she wears around her wrist. Yeah, he takes it with her, but in a way that almost feels defiant. The way he rips it off the bracelet. It does. It does. I mean, th- there's definitely. I think he's totally angry with her throughout this entire episode, right? It's like, like an we, I told we you know so, they didn't right? leave. Yeah, I mean, they didn't leave off well in the uh, the last episode, but just carries it out, man. You know, Brother Day has some nice little jabs that he gives throughout this episode that we see with, with him and Halima later on even. And yes. I, I like that. I like it. Yeah, same. I mean, I got to say, like, if I'm choosing a side here, I like Emperor Day over Harry. The thing is, it turns out that it's true. He actually does not have a soul. Which sucks. It sucks for him, right? It just yeah. sucks. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? You're a clone. You're like a t- 12th generation clone or 13th generation clone. Yeah. He does have oh, a very many. human moment. A very human moment in this episode when he meets this old man on the walk who's uh, taken his only trip of his life, really, from his planet of Nishaya, Nishaya. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's chosen to take this journey so that he can make this pilgrimage. And you see for the first time, like this, I mean, not the first time, but a very actual, actual authentic moment of day where he actually, in my opinion, makes his first friend. This is like his first friend he's ever made outside of the palace, outside of somebody who was bound by duty to serve him. Yeah. And the old man, the best part of it, and I, the reason I think that they're friends is that the old man doesn't realize he's talking to the freaking emperor of the galaxy. And that's what makes it all the more interesting, right? Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, it was funny when I was writing my own notes about this. Um, I wrote, uh, you know, Brother Day begins to walk, right? Like after he, after he takes the salt crystal from Demerzel. And, you know, as he's walking, he, what feels like almost immediately, but we know he's been walking for a little bit, receives advice to take a slower pace. And I wrote, they exchanged some words here. And then in parentheses, I said, Mario will go deep on this. <laughs> you with, just did. With the old just, man? Yeah, just with the old man and, you know, all of the, you know, all of the back and forth that, that he had. I like the old guy. He's oh, nice. He's, he seems he's, wise. He's dead now, so RIP. Yeah, uh, well, I, I liked him. I but liked him. I, I mean, you, it makes you wonder, is Day just calculating? Because he even takes a bit of the whole salt swirling in the water from the old man, you know? So, mm-hmm. does, does Dave even feel these emotions or is he some sort of psychopath at this point? I mean... I'm not sure anymore. I don't know. I don't know if if he's really a psychopath. I mean, I just think he's been raised a certain way all his life. Like, I mean, I feel like he's almost more of a robot than Demerzel is at times because he's taught what to do. It's punctuality. It's just, I mean, you're you're like a machine. Yeah. Well, he he does have this human moment though when the old man falls down and he and he picks him up and takes him off of the path. Yeah. Um. I thought that was like a moment where you wouldn't have seen. This is the guy who was ripping the hands of a of a emaciated, injured spiral attempter in the previous episode. You know, disgusted by by human uh, folly, human um, I don't know morale, not morality, like mortality, right? Suffering, this, somebody yeah. who's hurt, suffering. There you go. Thank you for helping yeah. me. So you're welcome. Anytime. Well, I mean, I had to let you struggle a little bit. Come on. Yeah, you're, Haven't no, you learned a lesson like Brother Day? You're like the triple goddess. Like you're just, you watch somebody go 170 kilometers and then you don't give them a vision. Like, yeah. Of thanks, course. Bro. Yeah. Not a problem. Um, back on the ship that Harry and Gail are on. It took me a while to realize in this episode, but what's essentially happening, and I don't know if you picked up on this, so don't mm. lie if you didn't pick up on it. Okay. Uh, Harry's trying to kill Gale on this ship. That's what's huh. going on here. He doesn't want her to survive this journey. You think? 100%. That's 100% what's going on. 
the and the heat control is turned off on the ship. Gale says if the heat doesn't if the heat regulation doesn't turn back on, I will burn alive here. Yeah. Unless she bashed the computer and that's, that's what turned what it off. I think so she, she gave him it in. she gave him no choice but to spare her. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what happened and I misinterpreted that, but I that's what I think it, it was. I didn't think he was trying to kill her because he he says words about how he needs her and all of that and I mean I, the way I looked at this was like it was it's a genius move for her because if he does really need her, I mean she she did bash in the system. So she tells him like, "Look, I'll die, but you'll you'll survive." They say uh data or whatever, like it it can't get destroyed. So either let me die or let me get off the ship at this point. So that, that's kind of what I thought was going on there. Yeah, because she was refusing to go unless she knew the purpose of why they were going to Helicon. And mm -hmm. to be honest, she still never really found out what the purpose was. No, you wouldn't um, tell her. And I was, you know, going back to me not knowing where the rest of the season is going, when she gets on that pod, she chooses to go back to her home planet of Synax. Yeah. Which takes 138 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that Salvor would be dead by then, more than likely. That's a good point. So yeah. it's one of those things where something has to get deviated there, and I'm I'm not just like you know pulling your leg here. I really don't remember if this thing gets rerouted because Harry makes a comment saying, "You know, I could just reprogram your damn pod mm -hmm. to go wherever the hell I want it to go." So yeah. part of me hopes that he did that because for her to just waste 138 years in that stupid pod would be so dumb. It, yeah it makes me disappointed right like i mean again the, the one of the big things that i've been kind of disappointed with in this series so far is just that there hasn't been enough gale like i want more gale in it and now it's like really we get you back for one episode and now you're gonna go go to sleep for another 130 years like it was only 34 years the first time and that was long enough i, I think gale is gonna get a lot more shine in uh, season two and i think she's sort of like the luke skywalker of this mm. uh or Luke Skywalker is the Gail Dornick of Star Wars, if you want to, you know, be proper. But that's kind of the vibe I, I feel here. Or maybe yeah. Salvor. No, no. Yeah, Salvor is like Luke Skywalker and Gail's <laughs> Anakin. I'm just kidding. No, imagine she goes evil. <laughs> Kills all the younglings. Come oh on. Oh, my gosh. What is that? Operate, uh, commence order. Order 66. 66. Um, back on the Invictus, the countdown continues to ramp up. Salvor's mm -hmm. trying to talk to Rowan out of, you know, the right-hand man of Farah in a way who's all in on the plan because he's close to Farah, but seems to be a little hesitant about this whole, you know, suicide, you know, ship mission that they're going yeah, on. I'd be hesitant uh, too. Yeah, you know, just a little bit. And uh, they make their way through several little security procedures. The Invictus, the main thing that occurs in this episode is, the, is that the ship jumps. That is like the yeah. main um plot point so to speak everything else are, is barriers and obstacles to get through with several just unnamed foundation members just dying along the way yeah that and well i mean th they did when i say they i mean salvor and luis uh they get away for a little bit right luis? like they, Lu am luis. i saying that right luis why did i say luis whatever <laughs> You never know. Um, he might prefer it that way. Uh, yeah, but, but Lewis and Salvar get away for a little bit later on in the episode. Um, and we get to hear about how the ship works a little bit. You know, you know what creeped me out? When she hmm. gets this moment with Lewis by herself in the bridge, right? The star bridge. Yeah. Let's call it the star bridge. We find out the captain of the ship killed herself, right? Yes. And she wrote EXO. EXO on the on the ball thing, like the navigation ball thing mm -hmm. that's in the center of the star bridge, which could either mean she killed herself, or or like a um somebody betrayed her and killed her because mm -hmm. she was an executive officer, or they jumped to some part of the galaxy and some shit from outside the galaxy killed her. Like they encountered some alien species that <laughs> killed uh, her. Yeah, that would add an entirely new wrinkle to this entire show, this entire story. If the crisis that Harry's predicting is not from the Empire, but some sort of outside the galaxy threat that this Invictus encountered before anybody else. Yeah, that is kind of where I'm leaning at this point. Because that would be awesome. Th this that would officer, be yeah. Awesome. Like the White this, Walkers. You haven't watched Game of Thrones, you bastard. I have not, man. You bring it up in every freaking episode. Uh, no, but I mean, the, the officer here looks like she did kill herself. I mean, her wrist is slit long ways. Mm -hmm. So... 
And I mean, it, there's yeah, like down the uh, down, down the, arm. the river. Yeah, you get the uh, get the nice vein there. Um, wow. They talk about how I guess they the rumors that they encountered something outside of the galaxy or so, like I'm a little fuzzy on like what where the border is here, you know. But um, I'm I'm just assuming there is some other race of beings out there that are much more dangerous. Yeah, well, we find out that the lights are actually um, a, a sort of a warning for the crew members of the ship to get to one of these little cradles, mm-hmm. right? Because the way, and may, I hoped that you, the same way you wrote that note about you, you hoped that I would go, you know, uh, in on my details with the old guy. Yeah. I was hoping you would pick up on what the hell Lewis was talking about in this scene and how the folding of space and time works and the fact that this ship has no spacers, those little weird creatures that plug you in before yeah. you jump in. Uh, that this ship, you need to actually plug in like the matrix to your freaking mm-hmm. cranium in order for it. I don't know. You explain it because I, I don't understand it at all. Well, I mean, I'm I'm going to admit it's a little confusing. So take what I say with a grain of salt. That said, uh, I do believe we find out here that these spacers were created, right? Like, so they, they are manufactured things um, that are able to kind of, you know, I guess put you in, in the state so that you can jump. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find out that the reason we have the lights so that people on board know when to sedate themselves because there were no spaces at this time. But as far as how this thing works, I think this is just more of a result of maybe they didn't have computers that were powerful enough. So the, the most powerful computer is yourself. It's your brain, right? It's the way it works. Um, as far as anything beyond that, right? He, he mentions how it there's like this it's almost like making a wish, right? Because you don't really know exactly where you're going to go. It's like you kind of have to imagine yourself being there. And then when you when you jump, it's able to pick up on that. That's the most I get out of this. I have no idea what the, what the more fine workings are of this machine. I don't want some tentacle thing stuck in the back of my head. But I started hearing elevator music about 10 seconds into your yeah. explanation. All I, what I do know is that they said that the way that they plugged in for this ship was before the Empire had spacers. Yes. So, um, if this is before spacers, then this is the way they would control jumpship te- technology. So, this is like an ancient uh, workaround, so to speak. And the spacers, I don't believe they're robots or clones or AI. So, what if they're from outside the galaxy too? Who knows where they're from? I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like they were created. I just feel like this is just, it was old technology that didn't have a computer or a nav system powerful enough to handle these jumps. You know, we've only, we haven't seen any sign of mystical in this show yet. No. You know what I mean? Uh, other than maybe something like Hugo, who like flickers his eyes to do those Thespian eyes, like the Thespians have like this weird thing. Yeah. I wonder if the show has any sort of mystical, you know, you know, fantasy type stuff going on that we'll find out about later. I could see that being the case, but I have a feeling it'll it'll be in season two and onwards. Like I, I think they they needed to invest a lot of time into getting people, you know, up to speed with what's going on in this universe before we start to introduce a whole bunch of aliens and other species. And, and that's how Game of Thrones is too. I mean, it's very rooted in humanity, rooted mm-hmm. in, you know, people. But you get these rumors of these prophecies, these rumors of these people with powers, these rumors of people who can like resurrect, you know, or play, you know, use fire and stuff like that and see visions Um, or these, you know, these creatures, you know, north of the wall, you know. So I do Mm. wonder if there's something like that in in this. Um, Back on Terminus, uh, we see way more Anacreans than I remember. And the only time we see Terminus in this episode is for Farrah's mother to give the lowdown on the situation with the vaults and Salvor's mother. What did I say? Farrah's. Oh, Pharaoh's mother. <laughs> uh, no, Pharaoh's mother's dead. Uh, <laughs> this is Salvor's mother. Uh, Salvor's mother is talking about the null field that is expanding from the vault. And this uh, very uh, grease lightning guy with his hair slicked back from Anacreon <laughs> is, you know, in disbelief at the idea that he needs to, you know, reduce the barriers that are obstructing or pissing off the vault. So that's really all we get. We just get like a little teaser that something's going to go down with this vault and this null field that continues to expand because Salvor at the start of the season was saying she feels something is about to happen. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the next episode thing. The next episode is titled The First Crisis too. So Mm. if this already isn't the first crisis, I'm wondering what the hell is. Okay. I don't know. Back to the spiral. 
the old man that Zach wrote so many notes about, falls to both <laughs> of his knees and Day tries to help him before he does, but it seems that this old man is satisfied with the death the mother is providing him. Day pleads with him, and I honestly think this is the first time Day has made a sincere friend. And he does probably the most kind thing we've ever seen Emperor Day do, which is to lift this dead man's corpse off of the path and off to the side, which I could be wrong, but I thought that that was a faux pas, that you're not supposed to remove them from the path once they're dead. I don't know if there's any like hard and fast rules about you moving them off the path, though. I find it amazing that he's able to muster that much strength to get him off of the path. I mean, Brother Day already looks like a pretty weak tomato at this point. Oh, he's sun poisoned beyond belief here. Yeah, it's incredible. And just... Go ahead. ahead. No, no, you please. Oh, I was was just going to make a comment. Um, He starts to... I feel like he... He kind of starts to look like Jesus a little bit, like maybe they're, they're kind of making it look that way. I don't know why. I haven't looked into that or anything, but just the the long hair, the heat, the yeah, outfit. You know, it's the vibe. It's you know, it's yeah. the you know, the garb feels very much like Jesus times Middle East, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, suffering through the desert. Um, just when I think Day's having this moment of of humanity, finally. Yeah. He's about to falter right before getting to the cave and he sees this skull. Very Hamlet type moment here, right? Or Macbeth, which is Hamlet's the one with the, with the skull, I think. If you want to fact check me on that. Uh, Zach. I'll try. I'm not too familiar with those. Jimmy, Jimmy's on PTO. Otherwise, we'd add ask Jimmy right now. But um, Day stumbles to the ground on one knee, sees this skull and almost scoffs at it, remembering he has the salt crystal with him. And smashes the skull. This is somebody. This should be somebody's head, you know. Yeah, I believe it's and Hamlet. He s- smashes it on the ground. Uh, I literally just wrote in parentheses. Interesting choice. Just when I thought we were seeing growth. Yeah. What did you think of this whole skull smashing moment? I thought he was just angry. I don't. I don't know. If Would there's... you smash the skull? Mm. I might. I might. I mean. When else are you going to get a chance to smash You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to ever get this chance again. <laughs> exactly. It may, it might be the reason he didn't get the vision, to be honest. Uh, maybe. It, I mean, it could, it could have just been him getting angry. You know, like, you know, when you get angry, you get the energy to go do, to go finish the thing, right? Like, like, it's kind of what it felt like. You know what, though? The triple goddess is probably standing outside the cave. They were probably like, look at him. He controls the whole galaxy. And yet here, here he has humbled himself before us, before us three. Mm-hmm. He says, look, he's had so much, and he smashes the skull. Yeah. Well, and they just changed their mind right there. They were going to give him a vision, but he smashed the skull, and so therefore he gets no vision. Yeah. Probably shouldn't do that right before going into the sacred room. Yeah. I mean, I I would would never take this journey. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of things here I wouldn't be doing. I imagine, uh, man, he he almost looks like he's steaming when he's walking by this water. It's crazy. He jumps in the water and um, I thought he was having some sort of moment that was very spiritual because of the way the reflection of the water looks. It looks like he was having this very special moment. Yeah. He drinks the water of the womb. And then I wrote side note, did he walk all the way back from the womb? Because the following scene, he tells us what he supposedly saw, which is, this is how he describes it. He says, he saw the salt swirling and it list, lifted off from the floor of the cave and took the form of a stem with three large petals. At this point, he's looking at Halima like a little, like your little brother, like mm-hmm. ratting out on you and making some shit up to your parents saying like, oh, you know, yeah, I didn't do it. You know, I was there and, <laughs> and he's looking at you saying like, yeah, you're going to get in for it, buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> and they ask him, you know, the, the, Zef, the, Zef, the what are they called? The Zephyrs? Zephyr Galat, right? Yeah, the, no, the, yeah, the Zephyrs that are up there, they're pretty much like the powers that be ah, of this yeah. religion. They say, you had this holy vision. Do you, are you familiar with the birth root flower mythology? I mean, you know, what are we doing? He's got books. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, this kind of felt like the little introduction to the Invictus. <sighs> right? Have you, you heard of that shit? Yeah, have you heard of yeah. the birth root? I, thought, I just thought it was one of those things where like, Okay, so now we're going to say that this guy had a holy vision. How about that this is just a personal thing, you know? Yeah. I also 
don't know that I would trust visions after a 105 mile walk in the desert where you were dehydrated. I yeah, imagine I everybody's having some sort of vision at that point. Yeah, uh, 100%. But with that being said, it still works to his favor, this whole lie in front of the council. Yeah. And Hallie minds up getting reprimanded, though low-key, by saying that she would be guilty of sin by making someone who's seeking enlightenment stumble or blocking the path of enlightenment. Yeah. So, with that being said, everybody in this room ends up bowing today and he gets his moment of victory. And so, he was correct or he was politically successful here in terms of defeating Halima because he refused to go on the defense with her. And so, he went on the offense, did the spiral, almost died, didn't get a vision, just confirmed that he is truly soulless. Or at least it seems that he is soulless. Although the the you know the the jury's still out. We yeah. don't know if luminism's correct. I'm holding out. We don't know if <laughs> luminism's correct. We just know about luminism. Yeah, we're just assuming that it's true. I think Mother Day, I mean Brother Day here, uh he made a great yeah. move. I think uh I still feel like, like my personal belief regardless of this would be that he would still have a soul. Which is, it seems to be the whole debate. It's do the clones have a soul? I would say the clones have a soul much more than this, uh, what did they call it? The last intelligent robot, Demerzel. You think clones have are more likely to have a soul than a robot? Yeah. I do. Yeah. I, and oh. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to base off of something that I see in the show here that would just be like, if I were put, if I were just thrown into this world and I would, I had to make a choice, I'd be like, well, I would say the clones that are, you know, they're they're created from the cellular level, they're grown, they are individual to some degree. Like I would say, they have a soul more so than than something, some intelligent robot that that's been manufactured. Yeah, I personally think Holly must full of crap later in this episode when she starts petitioning to Demerzel that she has a soul, simply mm -hmm. because it goes completely against what she told Day. I thought it was just a ploy to get herself free from being killed, but... I don't think she knew she was going to be killed at that point, though. Did did she? Maybe, no, it, I mean, maybe it happened she did because she said she caught on to the reason why Demerzel confessed mm. that she was the last intelligent robot in the galaxy, which I find hard to believe. I'm assuming where there's one, there's got to be another somewhere, but... Uh, imagine. Back with Gail and Harry, we kind of already covered this already, but um, Gail outsmarts Harry, breaks the computer that I guess regulates the temperature inside of the ship and smashes it to pieces, gives Harry an ultimatum that she wants to leave the ship, which knowing Harry, this was part of his plan too. Like he knew they would get in a disagreement and that she would leave the ship and then who knows if she's going to Synax or not. I don't know if that's the case. I don't... I feel like she's just forcing his hand. I mean... I... This whole thing seems to be an unknown for him. Like, even when he wakes up, he was not expecting her to be here. So, I, I think he's just in uncharted territory at this point. True. Well, she does leave the pod and supposedly sets the coordinates to Synax, which is going to take 138 years. And it seems the ship blows up when she gets on this pod. Did you notice that? Uh, if you want to go to that pod taking off moment. I will go to the pod taking off moment. I wasn't sure what to pick up on that, if it was some explosion or not. I mean, I don't know what else could have exploded, but... Let's see here. You got to reverse it. Too. You went too far. Oh, of course I did. Just leave it right here. So the water lives. She starts counting her little primes. And... Which, by the way, I would not be so just... I got to be desperate to get back in this little pod with this liquid and just yeah. float for 140 years. What the hell? I could have swore that there was like a, there was like a thing with the ship that it blew up. I don't think the ship blew up. I mean, it could have just been I know this... I didn't, I know I didn't see like nothing. Go back right there. I just think that was her leaving the bay. No, go back, re reverse it, reverse it. We went too far. It's before the water flows up. Right here. Right here, leave it here. I'm leaving it. So she gets the knife. So that's a key thing. She gets Raisha's knife. Yeah. Okay. Cool knife, by the way. 
it is neat. I mean, you've got like some upload device right up in there for uh, all of Harry's memories and his entire consciousness. So is she taking Harry's consciousness with her? That was what I'm not sure about. Like Check it, it almost, right here, right here. I'm looking. Boom. It does kind of look like there is some sort of explosion. Maybe that's her like leaving the, the, the shield or something like that. Maybe, maybe. Not not 100% sure. I just, I can't picture that ship just exploding at this point. Like there's just, there's no way. You think the actress who plays Gail is Australian? I'm trying to pick up where her accent is from. I don't know. She could be. I haven't quite looked into that. Hmm. Well, continue onward here. Day leaves the maiden absolutely destroyed by sunburn, but not before he gives his parting thanks to Halima, the all-so-special Halima, and rubs it in her face, gets a little bow from her on the way out, and then rips off Demerzel's salt thing again off of his finger and hands it back to her. Like this, you know, just when you think he's doing something that's heartfelt, he just, no. you know, there's always something, right? Yeah, everything's a, everything is a move here, man. We see another side of Halima who visits, not Halima, of Demerzel. It turns out she's like a robot assassin as well because she visits Halima and gives her condolences about what a great Proxima Opal she would have been. Yeah. I don't know about that. Halima implores her to choose her own path. She's feeling less enthusiastic about the direction of the Empire these days. Yeah. And it's at this point that Demerzel confesses the last time she actually attempted the spiral was 11,000 years ago. And that she's a robot. I mean, I think you can intuitively figure out that she is a robot by uh, that state. Her age. Yeah, I would hope so. Which throws back Halima, who knows that she's not leaving this room alive. And for me, is the only reason that she gives this um, heartfelt exhortation towards mm. the possibility that Demerzel has a soul. But Demerzel altogether does feel more human than Day does, does he not? Does she not? She she does feel more human than Day does at times. And that's the that's the part that I guess gets me. Like I it's just hard for me to, to think of a robot that can have feelings and can have opinions and have their own will to do certain things. So like that's completely foreign to me. But yeah, she does seem much more human. I mean, she seems saddened by this whole thing i do think halima is trying to plant some sort of like catalyst in her though right mm. like i think mm. she realizes that there is some sort of you know divide going on between her and and brother day yeah well we'll see where that goes but turns out demerzel's a killing machine because she's pretty much killed halima immediately by secreting a poison through her skin which is a slightly terrifying prospect of the <laughs> it's horrifying she is an incredible killer i mean we, we saw her making some moves early on in the season when they Did were we? trying to yeah when we were trying to figure out who blew oh, up the yeah, tower up right the tower that's right yeah. yeah but i mean this was a nice one i suppose right like this is this is a good way to go maybe yeah. you know you're not gonna feel any sort of pain you're just gonna slip away didn't even know what happened i kind of want to see demerzel in action she says that she would have chased her and ripped her to pieces i want to see like terminator demerzel I think it exists somewhere inside of her. I think we'll see it in season two. I think so too. Back on the Invictus, Lewis is shot before being able to do what they're going to do and plug Salvor in. So Salvor's not able to get plugged in, but she's in that moment saved by Hugo, who the Thespans he called for finally arrived, and they create a a needed uh, distraction, which leads to the ship jumping to some unidentified location. As far as we know, we have no idea where the hell this ship is going. Uh, I would hope Farah and Rowan are dead after this jump because if we know one thing about Salvor's mother, Gale, she is able to stay awake during jumps while others are not. So, yes. Uh, and it seems that when the ship jumps, some weird aura appears around Salvor, this whitish aura that appears around her head, almost like rainbowy you know, extraterrestrial type of force around her spirit. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of just, I don't know, a symptom of time and space being warped like that, right? Like you it looks cynical, like you're creating cynical a, person. You a would get no hole. vision. You would get no vision from the triple goddess, I tell you. No, I wouldn't. I don't believe in the mother. <laughs> you don't believe in the mother, the maiden, the crone? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, 
back today. And perhaps my favorite scene of the entire episode is Day is just having a good old meal here with some nice red wine. And we find out that this vision he had in the cave turns out was this really nicely contrived lie where he took this birthroot flower that's pressed against Demerzel's vanity table. Mm-hmm. And he used it to concoct this story of the vision he had to not only solidify the fact that he has a soul, but that the genetic dynasty has, a, uh, has backing by Luminism itself. Yeah. And Demerzel hits him with the perfect jab saying she wouldn't wish the emptiness of not seeing a vision on anyone, which leads Day nearly to the point of tears and in, in, in pondering this emptiness, the duration of the re- remainder of the episode, because as we see him getting plugged in for the jump to head back to Trantor, yeah. we actually see what happens in that cave. And it is sad. It's him in that water. Looks like he's in hell, completely separated from God. Mm-hmm. in silence with this lost look on his face, which makes, I mean, if you don't feel empathy or sympathy for Day in this yeah. scene where he feels this emptiness, then you got to think about the emptiness that's inside you, to be honest. Yeah. I, I mean, this this episode does a great job of making us feel bad for him. Yeah. I, I mean, I kind of like him in this, though, though he is, you know, seemingly a uh, soulless individual at this point. But does the soul something seems like there's something inside, man? In, in my opinion, besides him killing Halima, what has this version of Day done that's wrong on screen? Mm. Well, I've got to think back on that one. I don't. There's not like one big thing that's sticking out to me right now. Right? Like a lot of this and don't is confuse just kind him of for his the for yeah the, the form. Yeah, no, I mean he. This is not the guy that destroyed Thespis and you know Anacreon. Um, he, this is the guy picking up the pieces. This this was the little kid that we saw questioning. Does it always need to be this way? Yes. Do we really have to rule this way? Like, I I don't I can't recall anything specific that he's done that's been that bad. Well, it does make me wonder where his character goes from here in season two, uh, when we get there, um, with all of these very human experiences he's had, and whether his obsession of proving whether he has a soul. And whether he's an individual mm-hmm. will continue to be a, a fire underneath him. And with that being said, in very fitting fashion, the episode ends with him in the cave and with him getting ready to jump. Yeah. Thinking about the emptiness he felt after taking a very daunting spiritual journey only to be met with silence is crazy to think about. And Yeah. That wraps up our episode recap of season one, episode eight of The Foundation. Great episode. Great. I still think this is one of my top favorite of the season. I agree. How about you? Where does this sit in your uh, your ranking of eight episodes thus far? I agree. These episodes kind of get lost in order, but I thought last episode was fantastic, and I think th- this one was great. Um, mm-hmm. I-, I love episode one a lot. Like I, I do think the pilot is is near the top of, of my favorite episodes. Um, yeah. 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 This is always the episode that I remember. Mm-hmm. Right? Like like it's the spot the walk in the spiral. Anytime I think of the foundation, it's like the 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 single largest thing that you know stands out to me that that always pops into my mind first. I don't, I don't know why. I just think it's such an important part of what I imagine will be to come. Yeah. Well, with the re- recap over, let's get into some categories here and let's bring this episode to a close. All right, so we got three categories. We'll start with the first one, which is what is your favorite character? Oh, it's got to be Day, for sure. He wins I'm, this one, for sure. I'm, I'm in agreement. That's what I got written down. I think he had a great performance in this episode. Mm-hmm. Best scene? My favorite scene was Demerzel's encounter with Day at the dinner table and it confronting him about the pretty much calling him out without calling him out of, of the fact that he yeah. made up his vision. That was a really good one. The one that I noted down was basically uh, Brother Day telling his vision and explaining his vision to everybody. And the, the, the little bits that we got around there, the the nice jabs that we got back at Hilima, and the fact that his very risky strategic move paid off. Um, and I, I liked that. Me too. How about the best line in the episode? See, I didn't write any down, but if I had to choose one that pops up in my mind first, it's what Demerzel says to him, where she says, I wouldn't wish that emptiness upon anyone. 
Mm. I, I thought that was a pretty powerful line. The the I think it is a good line. The one that I wrote down while I was watching this was I believe it was when Brother Day was speaking to his uh his walking companion. Uh and he asks him the question. Brother Day asks the question. He says, "What if there is no light, other life? What if this is just the end?" Right? Yeah, that, like, is, that is good. That's that a that's good. a heavy question for him to be asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, we see a very human side of Day in this episode. He definitely wins the MVP of this episode for sure. One hundred percent. All right. Well, that is all of the categories. You want to plug our other shows? Yeah, let's do a little housekeeping. I neglected to do so at the start of this episode, so don't fast forward now, or we'll know. Anyways, uh, and you'll have to walk the spiral if you fast forward. But um, if you're enjoying our Foundation series, we think you'd really enjoy our Silo series. If you haven't watched Silo yet, it's also on Apple TV. So you can use that handy dandy subscription you already have and watch perhaps one of the best shows on Apple TV, aside from the Foundation, that is. And check that out. Speaking of Apple TV shows, we've also started a hijack series featuring Idris Elba. Yeah, you heard it. Idris Mm -hmm. Elba. He is on an Apple TV show and he's a badass in it, per usual. We did a mid-season recap of episodes one through three, and we're planning on doing at least one more episode of Hijack, probably a few weeks from now. In addition to that, we are also doing some Black Mirror season six coverage, and we are going to be doing episode three. I'm not going to say a date, but we are covering season six, and we've we've already done episodes one and two. And if those shows aren't enough for you, and you want to go watch a show about a great gang in Birmingham, London in the early 1900s, check out our Peaky Blinders series. We did an entire season one through season six commentary series, as well as a series on Last of Us on HBO. And if you want more, we've got a new series coming covering Lupin on Netflix about the gentleman burglar, the famous French novel. We're doing that in anticipation and in conjunction with season two of the foundation, which premieres on July 14th, AKA next Friday, just seven days from now, you'll be able to hear our instant reaction on episode one of season two. As we ramp up for that and finish our season one coverage, we're going to be doing episodes nine and 10 next week, as well as a trailer breakdown for season two. Zach, complete the outro here, please. All righty. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Foundation by Story Archives. You can find this podcast anywhere you find podcasts, Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We are on YouTube now, so be sure to take a look at us there at Soapbox Podcast Network. We have different playlists for the different shows that we've been covering. You can visit our website at soapbox.house. Email us at contact at soapbox.house. And again, there is a newsletter, right? So there's a link in the description below for you to sign up for that if you'd like to join the many other people. I have already subscribed. Soapbox Club. That's right. That's it. That's it? Are we, are we whispering on the way out? Oh, no. I was just saying the Soapbox Club, like in a seductive whisper voice. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think you lured in a couple people. Yeah. Well, we're doing, uh, we're doing a thing where we're remembering the first hundred people to sign up for this newsletter. So if you're in it, you're in it. If you're not, you lost the opportunity to get it. And so. I must say, those seats are already over 25% taken up. 25% already? Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Hurry up. <laughs> well, thank right. you for listening. We will catch you in the next one. We're excited to wrap up this series and get in the foundation season two. Peace. Have a great weekend, y'all. Peace. Peace.